I have a burden in my heart. And that burden is for you. I'm intensely aware, let me give you a scripture. I've not stopped praying, giving thanks for you, Paul said, for remembering you in my prayers. And I keep asking the God, the God, not just any God, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. He could have just said, I just keep asking a God. I keep asking God. But he defines who his God is. Hello? He defines who his God is. He is the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he tells him who the Father is and who the Son is in that one statement. Yeah? And he's glorious. And this glorious God, he appeals to asking that he may give you and me a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. When you've got somebody praying like that, that makes a whole lot of difference to your life. Knowing that there's somebody who can appeal to the God of our Lord Jesus Christ on your behalf. That is amazing power to have. You know, we've all been given that power. Hey, hello. We've all been given that power to appeal to the God of our Lord Jesus Christ for somebody else. We have. We have. We've all been given it that. So I'm intensely aware that the season is changing over the Dream Center. You may not be aware of it, but I am. Uh, and this began to dawn on me in our last building in the spirit that we had during our time, which was a couple of months ago now, how time flies. And, and since then, both Phil, myself and Paul, along with our wives, have been relentlessly pursuing God for you. And uh, this, because we know and we sense there's a season to know God, see God, touch God, and hear God afresh in a way that we've never done it before. And it started with us as a leadership. And it's right that it starts with the leadership because the leadership must be able to appeal to the God of our Lord Jesus Christ on behalf of a people. If the elders can't pray for you, then how sad is that? So the elders are praying, and even tonight we're going to meet. We as elders will meet tonight. And I can rest, be rest assured, or you can be rest assured, that we will petition the Father on your behalf tonight. We will lift you up. Why? Because we are concerned and we are dedicated to seeing this life change. Some of your behavior's got to change. That's not that, I'm not saying you're all bad. What I'm saying is, some of you behave, and you know that. If you drill right down inside your own heart, you'll say, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's read my emails. I haven't read your emails. But God has put a burden on my heart to see you change, to go to the next level. Whatever that next level looks like in your life, God sees it, and God's put that in. in and when God puts something on a person, it's in the, it's in the shape of a burden. Amen? And uh, we'll be pursuing God tonight for you. Um, I'm praying that God tunes every heart in this place to what he's doing. We must come to where he is so that God ultimately can overshadow where we are. Amen? And there's, desire, there's, you know, there's a desire here, there's a principle. 
to, and there is an assignment upon us to know him better than we do. How many of you agree with that? There is a desire and a, and a principle to know him better, to know him more intensely, to know him more intimately. And um, every time I approach God, uh, I do so with the aim that through remembering you in prayer, God will move on your behalf, or on my behalf, which is really for your behalf, God will move towards you. And it's right that people are praying. And it's right that you pray for others. And I'm praying that God will give to each of you, each of you, each of you, the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation for one reason and one reason only is so that you know him better. And to know him better means you engage with him differently. Because as you engage with him differently, you get to know him better. If I keep engaging with you at the same level, I only know you at one level. But if I find different ways to engage you, I can get to know you better and more intimately. Would you agree? So God uses his word to draw us closer to himself. So God drops things in our hearts to to cause us to pray, which will cause him to draw nearer to us, but us to move closer to him. So God does that through his word. He drops burdens, concerns in our hearts for others. And he also... Puts a burden, he put a burden in my heart because he said, Tony, you're too far away from me. Yeah, God's saying to me, you're too far away from me. Get closer. And God made me consciously aware that I was too far away from him. I was going about things the way I was going about things. How many of you know when you pray, you feel like you hit a ceiling? You feel like God is a million miles away and then one day you feel like he's so close. And you think, where was you yesterday? He said, I was right there. And the point is, we can be moved by our emotions or we can be moved by our faith. And he said, Tony, you come closer to me and you will sense me more and more. So God broke through. God has been speaking to us through his word and he used Song of Songs. An unusual book. God says, it's not unusual. That's why it's in there. And God used that to grab me, to put me on his page. God knows the word you need to start the journey you need to take. So Song of Solomon, or Song of Songs as it's known, God has opened this book and I'm in love with this book. And this book is in love with me. And the more we pursue it, the more we keep using this language, it makes men feel uncomfortable. Men don't know how to to, to say that word, Lord, kiss me with the kisses of your lips. A man talking to another man to kiss him on his lips well, maybe not in this day and age, but in certain sectors of society, it's strange. For me, it's strange. I kiss my wife. I never met these two guys and say, kiss me on the lips. The moment I ever say that to these two guys, guess what? We have a problem in our eldership. I'm just letting you know. And I, if, if I give them a brotherly kiss, they're going to give me a brotherly slap. So there's a way that we... We need to embrace one another, embrace the Father. And the book of Song of Songs has been, like I say, it's a revelation to me. But so, then the Lord says that, I'm not just speaking to you from one aspect of the scripture, Tony. I'm going to speak to you from many aspects of the scripture. Because I want you to be well grounded. I I speak to you from my word. Not just from a book. My word, it's one. 66 books, but one. One book. 
And uh, so Ephesians has really been opening up for me. Galatians has really been opening up for me. 2 Corinthians has really been opening up for me. And I have a lot to say to you. But right now, you can't bear it. So I've got to find other ways to speak. Not because I don't say that to diminish you. But there are things that you're not ready yet to receive. So I've got to say some other things so we can get to the place where we need to be so I can say what I need to say and have to say. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. So in your Bible, if you'd like to turn to Acts chapter 9. And I want to start with this journey of pursuit. This journey of pursuit. I've not put it up on the screen because it's uh, quite a lot to read. So we're going to read it slowly and I want you to hear Read with the ears of faith. That might sound strange, but your eyes and your ears need to be one. As I neared Damascus on, on his talking about Paul now, Paul's ready to go and persecute the church. So he starts, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell, Acts chapter 9, verse 3. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you? Comma, Lord? Saul asked, I am Jesus who you have been persecuting. He replied, get up, go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they didn't see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see absolutely nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind, and he did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord. No comma. Oh, there is a comma, sir. Yes, Lord. He answered, the Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For he's been praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias. In other words, he's seen you. Come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all of them are not good. He has done no good to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with the authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I'll show him how much he must suffer for my name. Yes, you imagine Ananias going, Yes, give it to him, Lord. But that was not what he was meaning. Then Ananias went to the house and he entered it, placing his hands on him, on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as, as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again. And be filled with the Holy Ghost. Immediately something like scales fell off Saul's eyes. And he could see again. He got up and he was baptized. An amazing story. Of how one man was pursuing a religious hatred towards Christians. And his heart is set on this specific journey. And yet God divinely intervened into Paul's life and heaven shows up when Paul wasn't looking for heaven in that dimension heaven came looking for Paul it's an amazing thing 
You know, all over the world, and I mean all over the world, there are millions of people taking journeys. A variety of journeys. And it's amazing how many people are going in different directions. It's amazing how many people cross each other's paths and don't recognize each other. Because how many people, how many times do you pass the same people going to work? But you don't recognize them. You might be sat on the same bus. Sometimes you recognize the same people on the, on the bus. But how many cars have you passed? How many people on the train, on the roads you've walked past? How many people who are going to work every day, go to work at the same time as you, and you pass, but you don't notice them? But they're all on a journey. Yeah? And they're all in, 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 on an individual journey. Most of those people have got issues in their life. They've got sadness, they've got happiness, they've got, they've got history, they've got a journey. And they've got an agenda. They all want to prosper, they all want to succeed. So they're all going in different directions. Busy people. But you've not noticed them. Yeah? All these people have a destiny. All of them have a destiny. Everyone who is born on planet Earth has a destiny. Right? Everyone born is born with potential. But very often, potential never gets to manifest because of so many, many things. But everyone's on a journey. You're on your journey. Paul was on his journey. Those people you pass every day on the way to work, they're on their journey. But the difference is on your journey, you've had a light shone on your path and you've heard a voice speak. Hello? Many people have had voices, have heard voices, but not a voice. And when there's many voices, there's confusion. But when there's a voice, it gets your attention. So what, what Paul heard a voice and saw a light. Many people hear voices, but don't see the light. And the light and the voice are the same. They're one in the same. They come from the same person. How many of you know that? But all these people every day are pursuing their careers. But what happens when they don't get fulfillment from what they pursue? There's problems. There are millions of people with incredible religious zeal. Turn on your TV. Look in the newspaper. The, those people who killed people, those people in Manchester or in London or any other bomb that's been set off with the intention of hurting, killing and maiming people, they thought they were doing God's work. This is the idea, ideology. This is the blindness that covers people. Zeal... People think zeal is proof that you know God. Zeal is not proof that you know God. Zeal is not. See, you may, you may be Buddhist, you may be Hindu, you may be a Muslim, you may be zealous for your God, and that zealousness will create an action inside of you. It will create a thrust, it will create a drive, and that drive will draw you into a particular, onto a path, into a specific direction. And that zeal is often used to prove their faith. And that zeal is often proved, is used to prove that they know something you don't know and they've met someone that you've never met. But zeal is not the proof. Zeal is a fruit. Zeal is a fruit. We can all have zeal. It's not specific to one type of manifestation. You can be zealous for 
anything. Whatever captures your heart, you can be zealous for. Whether it's music, whether it's poetry, whether it's sport, whether it's uh, science, whatever it is, you can be captured. And that cap- what, you, what captures you will then drive you and propel you in a direction. And that's what caught over Paul. Paul was zealous for ridding the, 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 the Jewish culture of these Christian infidels who was polluting the message of Judaism. This Jesus was not good for Judaism because he was, going to, he was going to turn the whole thing upside down. So the one thing the Jews didn't want was change. And they didn't want to change. Not only didn't they want change, they didn't want to change. Or they didn't want to be forced to change. So at some point, let's go back to verse 3 of that scripture. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around and fell on him. At some point in life's journey, God has to divinely intervene on your path. God sovereignly. Very often we're not looking for God. God comes looking for us. God comes looking for us and by his grace and his mercy, a light is shone and by that light being shone, we realize what's being offered to us is everything we need. Hello? Everything we need. I remember the night when Jesus Christ appeared to me and the light shone on my life. I realized that my life was going nowhere. And it's a sovereign thing. It's a spiritual thing. It's a divine thing that God shows you the nature of your own heart, your own future. And God divinely speaks in that light. And he shows you what you could never see had that light not shone in your path. If you've never experienced it, it's called being born again. Yeah? We all need to hear that voice speak to us. Because it's that voice and that light that then creates the pursuit. Without that voice, without that light being shone in your life and my life, there will never be a pursuit or a journey made. Because that light and that voice turn me around and turn you around and put me on a completely different path. And then so I could understand my purpose and my destiny in life. Many of you felt the same thing. We all need that voice and that light to keep shining on our path. It's not a one-off event. Though we're saved, I still need God's light on my path. In fact, Psalm 119, uh, verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And then it says in uh, Proverbs 4, 12 to 13, When you walk, your steps will not be hampered. When you run, you will not stumble. Hold on to instruction. Do Do not let it go. Guard it well, for it will sustain your life. That's why I need light. That's why you need light. So I don't stumble. This light will redirect your path and it will cause you to fall in love. You know, when we meet our partners for the first time, there is something we see in this partner that makes me think, this could be the one. There's a light that shines that illuminates, that gives you an inside um, vision to that this person who you are pursuing or you've just met, that 
I think she or he could be the one. Your eyes have to be opened. True? Or you'll be joining yourself to anyone. You're going quiet on me. There has to be a moment you go, "Mm mm-hmm, I think this is the one. Mm Mm-mm. Then that creates in you an intensity to pursue what your mind and your heart has captured. True? Has anyone ever been in love in this place? You all seem like you don't know what I'm talking about. Dear me, Lord, help me. Many believers have experienced salvation. Many believers. But that was the only light they've ever seen. There is a light to bring you to the cross and a voice. And there is a light and a voice that must take you beyond the cross. Hello? So you saved. Fantastic. You did nothing. You did nothing. Everything you needed for salvation was given to you. Everything. But to go beyond the cross, there is a light and a voice that must continuously be, keep being shone in your life and your path so that you can make choices and decisions and you can see and weigh up and evaluate and conclude accurately so that when you pursue and start the journey, you know exactly what's required of you. Yes? You must make choices. You must make conclusions every day of your life. If you're going to keep this pursuit alive and keep it fresh and in love, you, listen, we all know how hard it is to keep a marriage alive. I thought we were all right. Have a word with yourself and find out. Just because I come home every night doesn't mean say everything's all right. Everything... The trouble is with, with, with us is that we're so familiar that in our familiarity we reduce. And when we reduce, we strip out all that's good. And we don't see or acknowledge or value or appreciate all that's before us because familiarity is what I see you every day. And that's what it does. It breeds content. And that's why sometimes the old adage of the grass is greener on the other side, but we all know that the grass still needs cutting on the other side yeah we have to work at what we pursue at so many Christians have experienced this this light but they're still waiting so many so many are still at the cross still at the cross and though it sounds spiritual it's actually not now you're saved get up now you're saved Don't keep going back to the cross in that context. The cross will never be absent. But now Jesus says, follow me, serve me, walk with me, trust with me, take a a leap of faith. That's, I'm bringing you closer, I'm bringing you beyond the cross. I just didn't die for the sins of the world, I died for the sins of the world and so that sons and daughters could be raised. There is another agenda You've got to see salvation in a much bigger context than just death and separation. Hello? Many people are still blind. They love God, but they only love what that little bit they know. You've got to know God more. This pursuit has to grow within you. 
So, many Christians refuse to get up and be told what to do. Oh, there's a problem right there. Let's stop. Shut the doors, let no one run out. So many Christians refuse to get up and be told what to do or instructed in what to do. And as a result, they push and rebel and fight against God and fight against God's leading. Paul allowed himself, instantly heard the voice. He was reliant upon somebody else to take his hand and lead him. This is this man who was, who has been persecuting. You, you, you heard Ananias' own words. God, don't trust this guy. Ananias was trying to tell God something, thinking God doesn't know him. Ananias, I know this guy. I knew him. I know him. And I've already got his plan worked out upstairs. Me and the father in the drawing room, we've already worked it out. And at once, Paul gave his hands and allowed them to lead him. He's blind. He hasn't got a lot of option. But you see in his nature, he's willing to be led. You and I, if we're going to pursue God, you must allow yourself to be led. You cannot, can you imagine Paul? I'll make my own way. But Paul, you're blind. Sorry, I'll work it out from here. That's how so many Christians are. They're blind and and someone puts their hand out to help them. God gives them somebody in their way to help you, but because you're so proud and stubborn, you refuse to accept the help, and God says, you'll never make it to straight street. You will never, ever make it to straight street. Straight street means it's straight in front of us. But when you're blind, you haven't got a clue where straight street is. So God provides somebody, because he knows you're blind, and you need help, and you need to be led, so that you can get the next installment. And God's trying to help Paul in his pursuit. So he provides all that Paul needs to get the journey started. Because the journey he was on is not going to help him from where he's going. It's not. Why? Because it's going to have a different cause, a different agenda, a different purpose, and now he's going to know the person he's supposed to be defending. He's now going to get to know him, rather know about him. Prior to Paul, prior to Damascus, Paul had never encountered heaven. He'd only lived by a set of rules. And now heaven encounters Paul, overshadows him. Unless heaven encounters you, your pursuit of Jesus will dry up very quickly. Your zeal will dry up. So God puts people in our way to help you keep the pursuit alive. Please remember this. Please remember this. We see that in verse 6. And in verse 7. Let me go back to verse 7 so I can see it because I'm on an iPad. Uh, where we go? Blah, blah, blah. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. They heard the sound but they did not see anyone. Be very, very careful of Christians who just hear a sound but never see the light. Be very, very careful of those believers who never see the light, 
but they've always got an opinion because they've heard a sound. This is what brings a disparity in the body of Christ. The sound, we must, we are people of sight and sound. Hello? We are sight and sound. We're not just hearers. We're seers. We're hearers. And then we become doers. So many people only hear about God. They only hear about. They don't see. This is why Paul says, I give you a, I'm praying that the Lord will give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you can come into understanding because what you hear, you see. And what you see, you hear. And with the seeing and the hearing, you then can become a doer. But so many people are not seeing. They're just hearing. You come in and listen to me. Some of you will come in and listen to me from week to week. It changes depending because we're all capable of this. And I put myself in this bracket. Some days you sit there, you look like you're listening, but you've got closed. Written on you. We've all been there. I've done it myself. And you give the, you know how to, you know how to play the game. You know how to nod at the right time. That's not a nod. That's called waking up. We all know the games. We've all played them. We all do it. We've all done it. But the point is, you hear, but not necessarily you see. But the person who sees says, ah, I'm having that. The moment something is said and you see it, you go, that's mine. I'm having it. That's mine. What did I see this morning? Well, I saw that God can do this and God will do that. If I can do this and I will do that, God will do this. Now I'm seeing. But the seeing came from the hearing. But so many people hear, but they do not see. This is why the Bible tells us, be careful you don't only become hearers only. He sees the, the hearing's the easy part. Or listening's the easy part, hearing's the hard part, I should say. Because he says, um, hear what the Spirit of God is saying to the church. You're listening to me this morning, but are you hearing God? Through listening to me, you hopefully will hear God and see God. True? Hopefully from your parents telling you what to do and how to do it, you see wisdom in what they're saying. But when you're young and you're arrogant and you're proud and all that kind of stuff, you hear your mother, but you don't listen to her. So then she turns the volume up and then she's pitching. Every time she talks to you, she has to talk to you at that level. But guess what? It's just a noise. So then she says, what do we do to wake him up? I know, I'll bang him on the head. So then you learn to dodge your blows. But you're, still, you're not getting the point. You're not listening. So then mothers then is castigated as the villain when really it was you and me. You know, I remember as, the, as a kid growing up, there was a cartoon that was on every Saturday morning. Some of you may not know it, but I know many of you do. It was Captain Scarlet. <laughs> Captain Black and Captain Red was it and Captain Blue and, and all them. And Captain Scarlet was good, but there was always a voice called, This is the voice of the Mr. Ons. And when this voice came over everybody, it captured everyone. It put fear in people and it was almost like a spell came on people. Yeah? But Captain Scarlet was the goody. He was always fighting against the Mr. Ones. I've got all the animated remakes of Captain Scarlet. It's one of my heroes, Captain Scarlet. 
I love it. You know, nothing would get me up out of bed on a Saturday afternoon. This is when, even when the kids were born, even when the kids were born, I'd, get, I'd, I'd want to lie in on a Saturday. And then Carol would shout about half past ten. Half past ten, I'm still in bed. Can you get this? Half past ten. Carol would say, it's on. <laughs> out of bed. Downstairs. That was it. Cornflakes in the bowl. Scott, get sh- shut up. It's mine. Captain Scarlet was the only thing that would get me out of bed. And it was like the Lord was speaking to me. Go and watch Captain Scarlet. And he was the hero. But there's a voice trying to speak. And there's a voice that you must hear. There's, there, is, there is a battle for your ears. And you've got to know the difference between voices and the voice. Amen? In verse 10, the Lord is looking for an Ananias. The Lord spoke to Ananias in a vision. Straight away, what did Ananias do? Yes, Lord. His response was immediate. Why? Because he was a man who already, was already in pursuit. So there's a man. We see a picture of a man starting the journey and a man already on the journey. And when the voice came to the man already on the journey, there was no delay. Instantly. Yes, Lord. God begins to download what he has to say, where he needs to go, and straight away, concern and fear enters Ananias' mind, which is natural. Which is natural. Uh, God, let me fill you in on the detail. You may not have heard. So then he says, no, 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 Ananias, I'm going to use you. You're my chosen vessel because there is a guy called Paul, Saul, who's been persecuting, and I want you to go and lay hands on him. I want you to tell him that he's got a destiny and a purpose. Be careful how you tell him he's going to suffer, though. He might not like, might not want to buy into that part, but be careful. Your job, Ananias, is to do what I ask you, to go where I send you, and to do exactly how I told you to do it. Lay hands on him. Don't need to say more than that. Just be the vessel. You're the man I need for the moment. Can I count on you, Ananias? I'm in. Now, that's a man who's in pursuit. That's somebody who's in pursuit. So my wife says to me, honey, not feeling good today. Can you wash the dishes? Ooh, I might have to pray about that. <laughs> honey, can you clean the house today? I don't feel so great. Where's Scott when you need him? You see, everything will challenge my pursuit of this woman. So I can either say, well, where's Scott? Why not? <laughs> or I can say, honey, I'll do it. I'll get round to it. How many of you know, our wives know that when we say, I'll do it later, later can be a long, long time. It can be the 12th and never. So, hey? Eh? Yeah, it depends on the wife. Yeah. Well, I've got an understanding wife. <laughs> I've got an understanding wife. And... So I'll do it. I'll wash the pots or I'll do something. Why? Because these are all moments and opportunities to check whether the pursuit is still there. See, my wife and I, we've been married 35 years, 34, 35, I forget, but hey, what's a year? (laughs) A long time. And do you know, I haven't caught her. Please understand this. I haven't caught her. She is not a captive. I married her, I pursued her up to the marriage. 
But that doesn't mean to say she's caught. She's mine. I am hers. But she's not a captive. She's not caught. Why? Because we've now got the rest of the journey to, to still keep on pursuing each other. So we create in our life what we call our day. Do you know what our day means? Romance day. Our day is romance. It's not our, but we call it our. Because in Manchester we say it's our day. So romance day. So Carol and I spend more romance days now than we... Now the kids are off our, uh, off our uh, shoulders. Well, that's, give, I mean, that's dependable, debatable. However, no, now they're grown, grown up and got their own lives. It leaves more time and more money to <laughs> romance Carol. So we have a lot of our days. Why? Because she's not a captive. I still need to keep on winning her. She's not yet been conquered, if I can use that word. Conquered, because you know what he's doing? He's conquering me. I'm not trying to conquer her. It's conquering me. I'm the one that's got to let go, give in, and make a journey. So in me pursuing her, it conquers me, and vice versa. Because I don't want my relationship to be a statistic. I want my marriage to be fresh. Amen? Amen? And I want to send that message out to all you men. Your wife is not somebody to be conquered. But in, in pursuing her, you will need to be conquered. Because you're in the way. Now listen, you don't pursue your wife with jewels. Sorry. You don't pursue... You don't pursue... Listen, listen. You don't pursue your wife, guys, to get a new set of golf clubs. Or whatever it is you, you want. They are the benefits of the pursuit. That's not the purpose of the pursuit. Because if you pursue your wife or your husband for one thing, that is deceitful. It is. It's being used. So in this pursuit of God, what are you pursuing him for? Are you pursuing him for the benefits and the blessings? He said they're already given to you. It's part of the contract. That's what you got through adoption. All that I am is yours. That was the principle of the, um, what's he called now? The boy ran away and came back, came to his senses. The prodigal. His brother didn't know. What was already is had been given. So the other son goes away and spends his inheritance, but the brother didn't know what was already there. I love the prodigal son because it shows us so many levels. Both sons did not understand this relationship with the father. And then one son said, well, you love him more than you love me. Why? Because you've now given him things. He's already had his share. And it's like, you have no idea of how big this share is. All I give you was just an installment. Not the full share. Remember, it's a story. It's not the actual full facts of the inheritance. If you're reading Ephesians and you're reading throughout the scripture, he then unfolds what the inheritance is. Amen? So the Lord is looking for Ananias who will listen to him and pursue him and be obedient to him. 
The Lord knows, verse 15, the Lord knows you have fears. Lord, I can't do this because. Lord, what happens if? Lord says, I'm the God of the because and I'm the Lord of the if. So let's remove the because and the if and let's just focus on me. The only because you need is because I told you. Yeah? So he says to Ananias, Ananias says, I can't go because this guy's persecuting and he'll persecute me. So self-preservation kicks in for a moment there. And then God begins to help Ananias, gives him some information that he didn't have so he could see what he didn't know. Hello? He gives him information he didn't have so he could see what he didn't know. So he could trust God for the next part of the journey. That's knowing God. That God gives you revelation, insight, so he can give you what you don't know, so you'll trust him for the part of the journey you've not yet walked. That was good right there. You have fears and you have many unanswered questions. You have suspicions. God says, I know that. And I'm above all that. And if you keep listening to me and following me, I'll make what you don't understand understandable. Yeah? Yeah? But you must be able to take instructions. You must be able to take instructions. Ananias took instructions in the midst of his fear. He was still willing to take instructions. I'm speaking to you this morning, church. You must take instructions and you must be allowed, you must allow yourself to be given, sorry, someone to give you the instruction so you can take the instruction and be accountable to the instruction or the instructor. Verse 17, and Ananias went and laid his hands on Paul immediately and scales fell off Paul's eyes. Wouldn't you like the thrill? Wouldn't you just want the thrill of God using you to lift the scales off people's eyes through your words and through your actions? Wouldn't it just be wonderful that if God says, go and lay hands on that woman across the road, you think, oh Lord, you don't even know me. I didn't ask you that. I just ask you to go and lay hands on this woman across the road because I've already seen her distress. You don't know, you've never met her, but I've seen her and I know her and I know she's in distress and I want to use you to go and change that woman's world. And if God can't talk to Paul to get off his blessed assurance and go across, take five, five steps, 10 steps, 20 steps and go and do what he's asked, Paul will never get the joy of seeing God use him. That's how simple it is. But all this fear in the middle ground. What if? What if? Well, what if? What? What happens if they say no? What happens if they laugh? They're bound to say no and laugh. Because you asking, can I pray for you? Sounds weird. Absolutely. Depends how desperate somebody is. All God's saying, look, leave all the other stuff you don't understand and just obey the instruction that I've given you. Wow. He did that. So when do you do those things that the Lord is asking you to do? Do you want the quick answer? When he asks you to do it. <laughs> it's not rocket science, is it? But when you do the things that God asks you to do, you become more like the one who's asking you to do them. In fact, I put that on Facebook yesterday. When you do those things the Lord is asking of you to do, you take a step closer in becoming the person God made you to become. When you do the things that God asks you to do, 
then a work has been done in you. That was worth a fair right there. When you do what God asks you to do, then a work of God has been made complete in you. I didn't say the work, I said a work. A work. Just by obedience. A work then has been made complete. We can sign that part off. Yep. That's done. And last week I showed you through scripture just how when God speaks, wow, time flies in this place, doesn't it? I showed you how last week when God speaks, he asks us questions and he asks us deliberate questions because he knows in the asking of a question, it's going to reveal, expose, highlight what needs changing or what aspects of God needs to get in there? Yeah? So when God asks you a question, it's not because he's looking for information. We know that. Why? Because he's omnipotent. He's got foreknowledge. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. You know, this guy's sovereign. Before the world, he created, he spoke. God doesn't think. God just is. Yeah? God doesn't have to debate and go, you know, what happens if we try that? But that might not work. And he just does it. Why? Because he works from a position of knowing. So he doesn't need your information. So when he asks you a question, you've got to realize very quickly that God is up to something. And I tried to get smart one day. I didn't answer him. And God says, okay, I can see the game. I know the game. So then God just did that one thing. Don't make me speak audibly. Because when I speak audibly, Tony, I will get your attention. And I've had God speak audibly a few times. And it's been very, very, one more very, arresting. Some people have never heard God audibly. But two times I heard God speak to me, I was in rebellion. Rebellion. And that's not a good place to be. Because like Jonah... God has to spew you out in order to get you to obey his word. Because when he spoke to Jonah, his word was inside Jonah's heart. Go and tell Nineveh. True? So, so Jonah decides, not having it. They don't deserve it. Jonah thinks he's God. I will judge these people's righteousness and their unrighteousness. I will do it. God says, whoa, excuse me, Jonah. Who the hell do you think you are? Me, God, you're not. So Jonah decides, I ain't going to tell him. So he, he hides on a boat. And then we know the story. Storms come. And then they realize, this guy is bad news. He's not good cargo. If we get rid of him, we get rid of the problem. So they throw him over. And then we know the story. The fish comes and swims. And it eats Jonah. Next minute, Jonah's realizes that I'm not in a good place. I'm not in a good place. I thought I, was in a, I thought I wasn't in a good place when I was on the boat, but now I'm definitely not in a good place. I'm in the mouth of a fish. So then he annoys the fish so much that he tickles the back of its throat, and now the fish has to throw him out, pukes him out. And eventually, long story short, he finally surrenders. Now, do you really want all that drama? Hey, do you really want all that drama? 
sat there smelling like John West. <laughs> hey? Smelling like John West. All because you wouldn't do what God asked you to do. You would not pursue him, and in the pursuing, you have to do what he asks you to do. Hello? It's amazing what your disobedience will create for you and Matt and for me. And questions are good. Now, I got six questions, but I ain't got the time left to ask you six questions. So we're going to put a pin in this, but I will be back. Like Arnie Schwarzenegger says, I will be back because I will ask these six questions. Why? Because you need to hear these six questions so that you can go and do an internal diagnostic on your own life. Yes? You need an internal diagnostic because you need the light and the word on your path. Many of you were on your journey and God divinely stepped in and turned you away from destruction. But your inability to take instructions and keep taking instructions is going to end you up in the belly of a fish. It's very quiet in his Catholic church this morning. We have to make sure that in our pursuit, the voice and the light is on our path. And let me tell you this now, the voice and the light are the same person. They are the same person. God is not a God of confusion. He is the same God yesterday, today, and forevermore. The the light that shone in the Old Testament, it was the light that keeps shining in the New Testament. Albeit there was degrees of revelation, but it's the same light. The same light that was in the desert, the pillar of light leading Israel out, out of Egypt, is the same light that fell on Damascus. The same light that rose on the cross and said, I'm the light of the world. It's the same light. He, just, he's got, he knows how to turn it full up and he knows how to dim it. The same voice that spoke to Moses, to Abraham, to Noah, to Paul, to all the other disciples, is the same voice that speaks to you. It's the same voice. Rebellion, you don't want to hear God's voice in the midst of rebellion. I told you this story before. For those who wasn't, I remember working in Taylor's, the big B Taylor's, it was a loud factory. We all had to wear earmuffs. And I was going through this stage of rebelling with God. And this book, as I was reading this book, it was called In Christ Jesus. And I'm rebelling against God. And I'm fighting with this book. But this book is reading me. I'm not just reading this book. This book is reading me. And as it's reading me, it's exposing me. And the more it keeps exposing, the more it keeps highlighting my areas of rebellion. And I kept fighting against it. And I threw the book down the factory. Boom. I threw it. And David will know because he worked in that factory with me. And I walked out and I said, I'm going to give you a piece of my mind. I was so brassed off with what this book was doing to me that I was going out there, just like Job, to give him a piece of my mind. And this factory is loud. And I hear the voice say to me, you dare. And like Jonah, I ran to the back of my printing machine and I hid under the table. Because that voice arrested me and I realized this was not the voice of the Misterons. This was a sovereign... I didn't have to say, who's that? Who's that? I knew. 
It was so loud. And I honestly thought God was in our factory. Well, God was in our factory. But though I didn't see him, I saw him. Though I didn't hear him, I heard him. And it arrested me to the point of bringing me onto the action. And then I had to sovereignly, humbly, divinely, physically go and get the book. Salvage the book. Pick it up again. Now, let's start from the beginning and let us read this book together. So I started to read that book and that was the start of me coming into discipleship in Christ Jesus. And it's never changed. But so don't let God, don't get, let your rebellion, that's not a great testimony. Though I had an experience of hearing God's audible voice, I didn't want that. And it put the fear of God into me. Believe me, it did. The fear of God came into me. When I run, I ran. I'm, run, I'm hiding in a factory full of grown men. And they, they're looking and they say, what are you doing there, you idiot? That was not a good time to explain. <laughs> now it's not a good time to explain why I'm hiding under that table. All I knew is, God, I realized I've gone too far. Tony, shh, go and get the book. So I went and got the book. And that was fine. So I say that not to be, let's not highlight and glorify that testimony. That was rebellion. And I don't want you to have that. Because God says, Tony, there are things you don't know. In fact, Tony, let's just say, you know nothing. (laughs) You know nothing. Let's start from nothing and let's work upwards. Everything's great after that. So my first, here's the first revelation you need, Paul. I say it to him because he's in front of me. You need to ask God what you don't know. That's the start of wisdom. Why don't you show me what I don't know? And then once you show me what I don't know, then I can start the journey of a pursuit. Because if what you do know is not helping you in your journey, why don't you ask a different question and say, Lord, show me what I don't know. Show me about me. Show me what I don't know about you. Because it's what I don't know is going to radically change the way I walk with you and the way I work with you. Because it's always what I don't know that will always get me in trouble. I say to Phil time and time again, why don't we ask what we don't know? Now, to some degree, that sounds a contradiction. How can you ask what you don't know? But let's be consciously aware there are things we don't know. Because if, I, if I'm proud and arrogant and I think I know, then that's a bad place to start. But at least if I'm aware there are things I don't know, I can tread carefully and I can go in there with a teachable attitude. Maybe I'm missing it. Can you show me? Have I missing something here? What is it I don't know? Can you help me? And then that might say, well, tell me what you know. And as I tell people what I know, they'll say, I can see where you've gone wrong. Because what you don't know is this. Ah, that's the very thing I wanted to know. But because I went in there with humility and I put my hands out, I said, lead me to straight street. You understand? It's the posture that says, I don't know this. If I put my hand out, you have got sight in the area. Can you lead me to straight street? And as you begin to lead me to straight street and talk to me, the scales of my eyes begin to lift. 
And then when the scales of my eyes begin to lift, I can make a new confession. Once I was blind, now I see. What does that mean? I have new sight and new light on my path. Now I'm empowered. Now I'm empowered. Because by putting my hands out and letting this man take a hold of my life, new instruction came into me, new light came into me. I was able to rise from my position. That position of limitation, containment. I was able to rise so that I can come to a new place of stature in God so that our relationship can go to a whole new level. Whenever men and women get divorced, it's because the behavior that they both don't see. So they go to a counselor and they start talking and in the counselor, the only time they listen to each other is when the counselor's involved. And it's in the hearing each other, they begin to see, the scales fall off their eyes and they begin to see, actually, what an idiot I've been. But it's in the dialogue. But going to the counselor was them putting their hands out. Then the council will give them instructions, and depending on how self-willed they are, the instructions either get ignored or they get accepted. So how strong is your self-will? Well, put your hands out, let's find out. So what we do is at the end of a meeting, like we're going to do now, when I ask people to stand up, I say, let's raise our hands. Now, raising your hands is just an outward experience of, of lifting up your heart. But if I say to you now, after what I've just said, can you consciously raise your hands and say, Father, take me to Straight Street? Can you take me to Straight Street, Lord? Because there's things I don't know. And I need to put my hands out to you and say, I am blind. Do we have, can we be honest for a second? Is there any blind people? Well, I'm blind in some areas. I'm blind. Lord, but I've got my hands out and I say, Lord, lead me. He said, Tony, can you take instruction? I say, yes. He said, well, we'll find out, won't we? We'll find out some. But you know what? I've got a posture to like walking like this. <laughs> so let's, I'm going to ask you, if you will, to please stand and let's, let's just put our hands up to the heavens and say, Lord, I need to be led. You need to show me what I don't know. There's an inheritance over here that you've given to me, but I have no idea what this inheritance is about, what you've got in store for me. I hear people talk about it, but I don't know, Lord. I need insight to know what's mine. And I know people are part of my inheritance. I am so, so blessed that God has given me good people. Listen to me for a minute. I'm so blessed that God has given me teachers. What I needed, simply, listen, watch, simply because my hands are out, God is able to supply me teachers. God has been able to supply to my life an apostle, right? I'm not the apostle, I'm just a servant of the apostolic mandate. I have an apostle in my life who's able to speak into my life and over my life and through my life, right? And I've aligned to him for 20 years. I am not my own man doing my own thing. I am sub, I'm submitted. I'm submitted to an eldership team. We're all submitted to one another, right? Because our hands are out. The moment we pull our hands back in, there's problems in the camp. 
And because our hands are out, God can lead us to the still waters. He can lead us through the valley of the shadow of death. God can lead us because our hands are out. Why? Because at times, I don't know where Straight Street is. I don't know where Straight Street is. Sometimes I go round in circles. And all God says, Tony, put your hands out and I'll lead you. Okay, Lord? I'm out. Then God will send Ananias on the path to lead you, to speak, to help you lift the scales from your eyes. Why? Because the pursuit is dedicated towards this pursuit. Amen? So raise your hands right now if you will. And I want you, if you will, in your heart of hearts to pray, Lord, show me what I don't know. I've been zealous, and yet in my zeal, I've also been a fool. I've been blind, doing things I should never have done, because they've taken me into places and down dark holes that I should never have ever entered into. And Father, because I lost the light and I lost the word on the path, I became my own man, my own woman, doing my own thing, going my own way. Because at the heart of, at the, heart of the problem is me. I am the issue. Me and my heart has been the issue. So Father, I repent. I repent. Come on, there's got to be repentance in there. I repent. I don't want to be like Jonah. I don't want my life to be like the testimony of Jonah. I don't want my life to be like Paul. The early initial stages of Paul's life. Thinking he was doing your work. But actually he was rebelling against you. But oh God, I do want to be like Ananias. I do want to be a servant. I do want to have visions. I do want to have dreams. I do want to hear your voice. I do want to rise. I do want to go, in, go into battle. I, go, I do want to go and lay hands on, on the poles. I do want to do your will. That is, my, that is my heart, oh God. I know it's your desire for me. Lord, the moment I stop hearing your voice, Lord, is the moment I become directionless. So Father, show me what I don't know. Lord, as I put my hands out to you, Lord, you will lead me into a place surrounded with people who can help me and raise me to the level I need to go. I cannot make it on my own. So, Father, I humbly come before you and heaven today and acknowledge, oh God, my state. And I stand before you, Lord, and I say, Father, you are so good to me. Yet again, oh God, you, you've, uh, you've appeared on my path and you've spoken to me and you've called me by name. And the question that God said to Paul was, why? Not what? Why do you persecute me? Why? What is at the basis of your heart? Because at the basis of your heart is the manifestation of your behavior. Why is the, is the question? But once you see the light and know the voice, the why has true significance. So Lord, change my what to a why. Lead me. Lead me, oh God. Come on, church. Just, just, just have dialogue with the Lord. This is a good prayer to pray. 
Very, very significant prayer to pray. Oh, my God. The Bible says many are called, but few are chosen. Do you know why? Because many won't be led. The problem is many will not be led. Israel would not be led. Israel would not be led. And because she was led, she was scattered. She was exiled. And then God created a remnant. And then they had the same problem. Because the problem is not your environment. The problem is you and me. Because above all else, the Bible says that man's heart is wicked and deceitful. So it's the issue of the heart all the time. It's the issue of the heart. You change man's heart, he'll change his environment. But if he changes environment, it doesn't change his heart. So Father, stir the waters. Step in. Come on. Stir the waters. Step in. Say, Lord, stir my waters. Give me a fresh drink, Lord. Let my eyes be open to what I don't know. As I drink the living water, open my eyes to show me what I don't know. Oh, Father. Oh, Father, 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 Father. Shiri amabari andara baba kurianda. Shiri amabari andara baba kurianda. Lobo siri ende. Ram baba bakiri adoro bo shiri adara baba sarianda. Matara baba bakuriondo. Oh, Father. Mm. In Jesus' name. Thank you for today, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence. Thank you, Father, for everything that you are to us. Lord, I pray that this week, I pray, Father, that the spirit of wisdom and revelation will be bestowed upon my brothers and sisters in order, oh God, that they may know you better. Oh, knowing better, people, knowing better. See what he sees, know what he knows. Hear what he, what he speaks in Jesus' name. And the people of God said? Amen. Amen. Lord bless you.